0: Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show on which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner, your producer and co-host. So happy to have you here, folks. we got a great couple on the show. This is an amazing interview. She's returning for the second time and bringing her husband this time, who is an actor and screenwriter talking about John Sheck. You've seen him on That Thing You Do with Tom Hanks. He's also appeared opposite Jessica Lange, Gwyneth Paltrow, one owner, writer, and many others. He's got a brand new, really cool series called Blue Ridge that's gonna be coming up in 2024, where he's gonna reprise his character, Sheriff Justin Wise, from the movie The Night Clerk. And he is happily married to our returning guest, Julie Solomon. We've had Julie on before, had a great interview with her. Go back and check that one out. She was recently named one of the top 100 leaders in influencer marketing. Julie and her work has been featured on Forbes, Entrepreneur, Business Weekly, Business Insider, Success, and People, among others. You want to check out her best-selling book, Get What You Want, How to Go from Unseen to Unstoppable. So we've got John and Julie on the show with us today. Super excited about it. You're going to love him. He is a four-wing five. She's a three-wing two. Without any further ado, that's it for me, Anthony Skinner. Here is the host of our show, Ian Cron.
1: Hello, Typology friends. Ian Morgan Kron here, host of the show on which we explore the mystery of the human personality and the human adventure through the lens of the Enneagram. I'm joined by my dear friend, my producer, my co-host, Anthony Skinner. Anthony, how are you today,
0: my friend? Man, I'm doing fantastic, and I'm super excited about our two guests that are coming up. Before we get to our guest, I want to ask you a question. How is the new project going? Well,
1: first, I just want to say that you have the most NPR voice ever. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm talking to like an FM radio host in the <laughs> 1970s in New York. W-N-E- yeah. WNEW FM in That's New York right. City. And now... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You should be doing voiceover work,
0: man. You have the best voice ever. <laughs> oh, man, ever. thank you. We'll see where it leads. Well,
1: yeah, well, who knows? You never know. It could be a second half of life career. Could happen for you. Yeah. Well, I am, uh, as you know, in San Miguel de Allende, Mexico, and today is the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. And so you might hear fireworks and parades as we interview this amazing couple. I, I, I have great anxiety does it sound like a, that a mariachi band <laughs> might appear in my living room right behind me can you see a mariachi band just coming in behind me
0: a bunch of guys in sombreros like playing there. does it sound like a little skirmish or battle going on outside of your house there
1: uh and all for mother mary yeah. i don't know if she has any interest in, in incendiary devices but i hope she does because she'd be very very pleased okay let's move on to our guests. let's do it um, because I have been excited for days about their being on and returning to returning, the
0: show. Returning, yeah,
1: that's right. Yeah. Today we have on, and let's please welcome to the show, Enneagram 4 with a five wing, the actor and screenwriter, Jonathan. And Jonathan, is it Shech? It's Shech. Shech. Dang, dang it. Like, what the heck? I was supposed to, I was supposed to ask that up front, Anthony. You're the dang producer.
0: Oh, everyone. Everybody. <laughs> that's what I have to say about that. <laughs>
1: That is the last That is the last time you will do that in this interview, I will tell you. Our credibility just went down by like 100%. Great. Jonathan and his wonderful wife, the Enneagram 3 with a two-wing, the personal branding coach, best-selling author, podcast host, back to the show, Julie Solomon. Welcome to you both.
2: Thank you for having us.
0: No, I could not leave her out. I could not leave her out. That had to happen. That's right. (laughs) And last time we had you, Julie, actually in the studio, which was great.
2: That was. It was
0: fun. Yeah, but here we are online. Yeah, with a live studio audience, apparently. So (laughs) um,
1: Enneagram 4, Enneagram 3, wild combination. First, how did you learn about the Enneagram? And I just want to know what it's like. Inside your home, with an Enneagram four and a three, very different types. We
2: are. Um, want me to take the lead on this one?
1: You're going to take the lead no matter what. I'm, well, I'm an Enneagram three.
2: <laughs> 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 um, okay. Well, I I love to I, I love uh, personality tests and 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 you know character tests and soul tests and all the tests. And so I took the Enneagram several years ago and uh, found that I was a three. And of course, I can't get him to take a test for anything. So I took the test for him by asking him the questions. And then he gave me the answers. And then that's how we found out what he was. But he was actually restudying it today. And he goes, I think I'm a four wing three. And I was like, I don't know. So I found it through, I think, a friend of a friend. And then I introduced him to it.
3: Well, I had known about the Enneagram. Back when I studied acting in the beginning of my acting career, it was, I took a course up at Esalen. Oh, wow. On the Enneagram. And then after that, the instructor did privates, and I would go to her about the privates because it was a great way to learn character study. So I thought maybe I would create like a Enneagram way of uh, looking at my characters, but it was a little too complex. And I stuck with what I was taught in the beginning, but I, I, use, I have used it as a tool.
1: I am so interested in that. I uh, Last night, my wife and I were just trawling around inside of Apple Plus, and we happened upon that show, The Morning Show, with uh, Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon, right? I think that's who it is. And um, I was watching it, and I, I was thinking, she is so archetypally Jennifer Aniston's character, three. And Reese Witherspoon's character is archetypally eight. And I'm watching it and thinking to myself, how helpful would it be if you really because this is the enneagram is great because it tells you not just what you do but why you do it so if you know the underlying unconscious motivation of a particular type it would greatly inform your preparation for a role i would imagine is that would that be fair yes
3: exactly and i think it's a really great tool for writers
1: like screenwriters yeah, you, mean. you
3: know exactly where your character is going to
1: go mm. Mm. So I taught a, uh, a, a class at Lipscomb in Nashville. Uh, it's a film, uh, a screenwriting class. And I brought in the show uh, Park, Parks and Rec because the nine characters in it, each one of them, this is crazy. The nine characters each represent perfectly almost they're an Enneagram type one through nine.
3: Wow. I don't
1: think that's a coincidence. Yeah, Come I don't on. think that was by accident. <laughs> someone knows what they're doing. <laughs> that's what I thought. Yeah. That's exactly what I thought. I was like, someone sat down and said, let's get nine Enneagram types into this context and see what happens when they relate with each other. Now, of course, the problem would become eventually, right? That if you over relied on it, this is, I'm making, I'm speculating here, that you, you would begin to develop caricatures instead of characters. And that would become problematic. But if you just took a little bit of information, just a little bit, a couple of data points, it would really help, I think.
3: Yeah, but then the actor puts can put on, they had to put their imprint on it anyway. So you just had to Mm -hmm. do a good job casting.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, okay, so again, it it would be helpful in casting too, right? I mean, to me, it's fascinating. And I, I feel like I have my own second career coming. It's Hollywood, Anthony. It's Hollywood. <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm going to be a consultant There you go. and, and uh, work with people on uh, uh, the development of different archetypal character types. What do you think? Yeah. I
3: love it. Yeah.
1: There's gotta, there's gotta be a living in there somewhere. We can make, we can make it work. So anyway, yes. Um, so I, uh, I want to start with you just for a moment, uh, John. I've read a quote in an autobiography I've I've been with in the last couple of days, and the quote was um, just one of those things that really, really sort of, uh, you know, gripped me when I read it. It's the opening line of this autobiography. It's by a woman named Ruth Burroughs, and in the beginning of it, uh, she writes, I was born into this world with a tortured sensitivity, and my life has not been an easy one. And I thought, that girl's an Enneagram 4. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Yeah,
3: sounds like it. Right? Poet, um, the artist, the suffering artist.
1: Mm. And has that been your journey?
3: The unhealthy part of me. That was mm. the journey. But the journey now is a much healthier one. and mm. I fill it with gratitude very quickly. And I've been working on those positive traits. And, thoughts and actions so so that i don't fall into i guess my 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 true nature which Mm. sabotage and destroy and cause chaos
1: yeah yeah gosh i'm glad we didn't meet when we were 30 (laughs) yeah that would have ended poorly (laughs) well i mean I think that really describes my own life experience as a young man. And and interesting, you should raise gratitude up as a, as a discipline really, because for the Enneagram four, I'm like, when I'm working with fours, I'm like, you need to keep a gratitude journal. And I mean, every single day until it becomes reflexive so that it's instinctual in you to be grateful because we struggle with envy and everything seems to be a disappointment to the unhealthy four
0: we have a keen eye for what's missing right
1: Mm, good lord we sure do and and yet out of the fire of those longings and out of the i don't want to say these these misguided appetites and fiery longings can be born incredible art and uh, john you're an example of someone who has leveraged that what i call the province of madness to good use you know because so many fours self-destruct, man. The list is long of Enneagram Four artists who just self-destructed. What, what do you think it is about fours that makes self-destruction sometimes even romantically attractive?
3: Yeah, it's a choice. Mm. It's, it's more of the heart um, and the side of the world that we hear more than the other side. My son literally said to me, um, hey, dad, you know, all these songs are all about love. You know, someone's heartbreak or something like that. And I was like, yeah, buddy, he's 10 years old. I was like, yeah, they are. And there's really, you know, <laughs> People feel that sorrow and that, um, that pain and that's, they cling to that. And I think the four is really, well, they harbor that. I mean, I've harbored that. Hmm. I've been that for a long part of my life.
1: Yeah. You know, um, I oftentimes will will shock people when I say that we're all pathetic. And what I mean by that is pathos, right? Suffering. And so we get the word pathetic from that word that all human beings suffer and we live with it all the time. Really? We do. We're just, we live with a sense of disease, discontentment, irritability, restlessness, um, This great writer, Ronald Rollheiser, talks about how we come into the world overcharged with infinite desires, but we're finite creatures, right? And so it's just all this material inside of us, right? And spirituality really is, what do we do with those drives? What do we do with that charged interior world? Uh, Do we channel it correctly and make great art or create great businesses, uh, or do we allow it to self destroy, right? Like just completely. And I think that for some types, threes, sevens, others, they deny our pathetic nature and some fall in love with it and actually embrace it and kind of feed on it as if it's delicious. Right. And I think fours at the top of that food chain, man, like they just, that's kind of where they live until they get into a healthy place. And usually it's when they smack a wall of some kind. And we're going to talk about that in your life in a, in a moment in the lives of you two. When we we segue to talk about big part of your, your shared lives, Julie, what's it like living with a four? What's that journey been like?
2: Uh, It's never a dull moment. I can tell you that. Um, But it's, it's fascinating for me just because I don't, it's such a foreign concept for me to understand someone that would like go through life suffering Mm
4: -hmm.
2: because even, even when I have pain and challenges and, and even when I can be very self critical of myself, there's this, um, this blissful ignorance, I guess, within me that is like, well, I can somehow fix that or avoid that or get to the other side of that. So where I don't have to like live with it. Um, so it's, you know, it's it, it, like, I'm, I'm, a terminally optimistic, um, about things. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when, when he will get into these moments of, of brooding or, you know, um, regret or, you know, all of these, you know, characteristics that I would identify as not, not so rosy and shiny. Um, I've had to learn how to just like, let him, have those feelings instead of wanting to fix them or wanting to, Mm. um, avoid them or, or even wanting to, to downplay them. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I remember my mom, my mom's an Enneagram seven and I remember even, you know, she was a master at, oh, the world's coming to an end. Let's go plan a trip. Let's go, you know, shopping. Let's go, let's, let's figure out how to not have to think about this stuff. Um, you know, let's talk about happy things. And, um, and I think that this, that myself, I don't know if it's part of my Enneagram or my upbringing, but I can I- identify that, especially being so innately in- intertwined with the four, who that is just part of the way that he sees the world. And so it's allowed me, I think, to have more compassion um, mm. for someone who may just exist in a different understanding and a different reality than I do, but it definitely... Propels my desire to want to fix it and want
4: to mm. change it
2: and rearrange it and like there's there's nothing there's nothing um, happy about suffering. So why why are we hanging out here? Let's let's go hang out where it's it's fun and exciting and and like let's go achieve something. Let's go like like there's no result to suffering. Like what like what's the solution here? Are we just gonna be mm. suffering all day or like can we fix this and then Go be happy.
3: You know, Mm. one thing about Jules was, uh, which falls in line with this, like she always had this great connection to an understanding of a higher power. Mm. She was very in line with that connection. And I was always kind of questioning or struggling or combating my understanding of a higher power, God. And um, she was always so keenly easy to get there like she just easily was always there and it was prep it was who she was Mm. yeah so i don't know if that has to do with
2: yeah i just i think at the end of the day like i know that it's always working out for me even when it's not working out for me it's still working out for me and it's just a knowingness and and so me having to understand whether maybe someone else that i share a bed with (laughs) that may not have that knowingness is is an is an interesting you know, uh, fascination of, of, of life.
1: Really. Wow. You know, I was just thinking about what Thanksgiving must be like for John. You're a three moms, a seven, who else is in the room on those days? I'm just curious. We got any of the types in there. We've
2: got, we've got lots of, lots of threes, lots of twos, some eights, seven. Oh
1: my gosh. <laughs> John, John, come to my house, come to my house for the holidays. <laughs>
2: He just kind of quietly finds a room that no finds one's a room.
0: In. It's, yeah, like, yeah. The running
2: joke in my family is where's John? Because we yeah. never know who yeah. he is. Because he just immediately goes and like hermits and hides somewhere.
1: Right. He's he that's because he's upstairs watching old Bergman films on <laughs> um, you know on the classic channel. He's just he's just quietly upstairs. I get it. I get it. And yet, isn't it really wonderful that we have a tool like the Enneagram that helps us realize it ain't personal? Like it's just We need like just different strokes, man, different folks. And we, we have to stretch ourselves and go down and eat dinner, you know, and like, you know, be social. We can't just sort of dive into our number and use it as an excuse for not being present. Right. But it is good to know that John has to burn a lot more calories to be in that space. Whereas you get calories from that. Yes, I
2: do.
0: Julie, I have a brother who is a five with a four wing and we, it's the same thing. Where's Randy? It's like, it's probably said about thirty or forty times over the two days of Thanksgiving and Christmas.
2: Where's John? Where's yep. does he not want to hang out with us? What's wrong? What do we do? <laughs> like it's not about you, I promise.
1: Hey, everybody, if you've been listening to Typology very long, you know that I am a huge believer in the intensive counseling programs at Restoring the Soul in Denver, Colorado. So I am super excited to tell you that now through the end of 2023, Restoring the Soul is offering special discounts to Typology listeners. woo So if you are at a place in your life where you are really wanting to press into those challenging personal or relational issues that keep you from the life you want to be living, listen to me, if you are in a season where personal or relational brokenness is weighing you down, now is the perfect time to contact Restoring the Soul. My longtime friend, and I'm talking 35 years, friends, Michael Cusick and his team of world-class therapists have created an intensive counseling process where you don't have to wait months or even years to find the personal or relational healing you need. Instead, you meet with them in half-day blocks over one or two weeks so you can get unstuck from the place you are to where you want to be. Now, Anthony, you have done one of these intensives with Michael Cusick and Restoring the Soul, right?
0: Oh, man, I have. I love Michael. I got to be with him for a week. For me, he's like a counselor meets spiritual director, and I would say he has razor-sharp art perception. And he uncovered some things for me that were life-changing.
1: Mm, I love that. So tell people about this incredible offer.
0: Yeah, this is great. So right now there's a special offer for Typology listeners only. Restoring the Soul is offering $1,000 off any counseling intensive that is booked before the end of the year and $2,000 off the regular price if you book and attend a counseling intensive in 2023. No, no. Yes. All right, so that's a thousand dollars off any intensive
1: that's booked before the end of the year, mm-hmm. and two thousand if you attend one of their programs in twenty twenty three.
0: Yes. Amazing. That's a huge break. That is
1: a huge, huge break break so listen friends take advantage of this amazing opportunity by contacting restoring the soul at www.restoringthesoul.com that's www.restoringthesoul.com you know julie one of the things that you said was you know about this fixing thing and we we'll, we're going to like i mentioned dive i think a little more deeper into that topic but i think threes and sevens sometimes when they're around someone in that afford, um who is expressing or radiating, actually, sometimes, just kind of without saying a word, they're kind of radiating this energy of melancholy, right? Or something's wrong. Something's missing. Something's not right. You know, whatever. John is smiling. You, John is smiling.
3: <laughs> My entire life, that's what people say is, what's wrong? yeah
2: (laughs) (laughs) why aren't you happy
0: being present Sorry. (laughs) yeah why aren't you happy like me right yeah exactly well
1: but sometimes i think a three or seven tries to quote unquote fix a four not solely in the interest of wanting the four to feel better but because the four is making them feel bad oh yeah yeah, and they want it to stop, Yeah, right? So it's, it's a little bit, and I think the four sometimes picks up on that. It's like, you're not actually trying to help me. You're trying to get me out of this space so you aren't feeling the feels yeah. with me. Yeah,
3: that's
0: so true. So I have that's a question great. for you, Julie. You said you've been working, practicing on making space for his suffering. And I wonder what that looks like. And have you, over the in the process, have you found value in? I think I found
2: suffering? value in just, I don't know if it's so much the value in the suffering but I think that just allows him to be him. And so it's like John gets to be John and Julie gets to be Julie and and that creates a much more harmonious ecosystem than John is being John and and Julie wants to fix John so Julie can be feel better about being Julie.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's that old codependent thing. I can't, you know, I'm I'm not okay unless you're okay. Yeah. Yeah, right. And which causes it, a lot of problems. It
2: can, but I've definitely I've let a lot of that go, which is great mm. just from my own my own healing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's still sometimes. You know, we were talking about you know something that he brought up the other day, and when we got to the root of it, it was this this feeling of regret that he was having around us around this a, a circumstance. And I told him, I said, "This has been something that's been." I mean, this is like your Achilles heel. This has been something that, like, since I've known you for the past, I've known you for 12 years, and this has always kind of been there. It's my insomnia. It's yeah, my, and his, his, his insomnia. He's waking, like, like,
3: waking me up in the middle of the
2: night. Yeah, he's never been able to sleep, and so we get under the layer, and it's like, oh, there's regret to things. And I remember letting holding space for that, but at the same time thinking to myself, like, I don't have any regrets about anything, and I couldn't have, And not to say that I haven't done things that, that you know, I feel um, you know bad about, or maybe even guilt. Like I have guilt about things, but like I don't have regrets. I don't have this this deeper thing that that strives within me. And so I think that's just a, a very key difference between again how he sees and experiences the world and how I see and experience the world.
1: So this is a great teaching moment for our folks because. And I'm going to tap on something that we've had uh, conversations about before, but you're embodying it so perfectly. Uh, every number on the Enneagram has a time orientation. So three, sevens, sevens, and eights are all future-oriented types. They're always thinking about the future. What's next, right? Ones, twos, and sixes are all present-oriented types. They're very present-oriented. Fours, fives, and nines are all past-oriented types. makes so much sense. So this is an example of how the Enneagram, some of this knowledge, can be so helpful in a relationship, right? Because part of John's curriculum, uh, if you will, is learning to not be so fixated on the past, but to bring into balance his relationship with the present and the future. Wow. Part of your journey, Julie is to not over-rely or over, you know, kind of focus on the future, but to take into account both the present, which is hard for you, and the past. And oftentimes, one of the ways that I think a three escapes the past or regret, it's not like threes, I think you probably have regrets, right? The difference is you would be very fast to spin it into a positive. Yes. Not reframe it, that's what a seven would do. But you would spin a regret as something like, yeah, but now we can use that to X. Right. Right? Like now it's – and it's a very subtle difference. Sevens will reframe. Threes will spin. And they're a little bit different. But this time orientation thing, you guys just nailed it so perfectly how it works in a relationship and how it can cause dissonance and also what it becomes a call or a summons to both of you to try to bring into balance a relationship with all three time orientations. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's huge. And that makes so much sense because a lot, you know, he'll be talking sometimes and I'm like, why are we, why is, what's this up with this Like, past focus? Like, I don't care where you've been. I just care where we're going. <laughs> like, let's just move, yeah. move along. Let's move on. And um, I think that makes a lot of sense.
1: Certainly. Yeah. And you know, if you can learn to split the difference and and call each other to a more balanced expression or experience of time, then uh, things start to make a lot more sense and run a lot more harmoniously in the, in, in the home, you know?
2: And he's great way, way better at being present than I am. Yes. Are.
1: Yes. I believe that. I believe that uh, because you have so much like an eight and seven, you have terrific forward momentum all the time. It's, it's, you're gobbling. It's like you're grabbing the handfuls of future all the time, handfuls of future and, and it's and pulling you forward right, into the next, uh, for you, the next achievement, the next goal, the next task, the next thing to do, you know, John, John is not in the doing triad. Uh, He is in the feeling, you know, he's a feeler, right? You are a doer. And this can be a great marriage. It can be very passionate. It can be really, really great. Um, And the more self-understanding you have around your type, the greater it gets, you know, the, the greater the greater it gets. So, wow, what a great lesson on Enneagram threes and fours in, in, uh, in, in relationship. And, and also I just would, would end with this question. Julie, what do you love most about John?
2: I love that he's an Enneagram four.
1: Mm, okay.
2: Um, I, I love that he is very present. I love that he, he can see things that I can't, um, he has a really keen understanding of sensitivities and uh, empathies that I've, I've learned to be more of that through watching how he really navigates people and, and navigates the world. Even in the midst of, of all the pain and suffering and brooding that may exist within him, he always finds a way to, to keep moving forward. And he has found... I think through his own recovery, um, a love for himself that mm-hmm. probably wasn't there when I first met him. Mm-hmm. Really, just being able to love himself, which allows him to forgive himself. For mm-hmm. him, which to me, like so easy for me to do that for him. Mm-hmm. Then, a, a, a really, it's been a lifelong journey, and now he's a living mm-hmm. example of someone who has been able to really learn how to embrace all of that that is him. And then that just makes me love and embrace all of that. That is.
1: Him. Mm, that's the good John is smiling. I don't blame him. That's a, that's a beautiful in, encapsulation of what I think all fours would love to hear from their, their respective partners. You know, it's, I think, um, you know, and I, I, I'm 63 now and I, I feel like I have more to do and to say than I've ever had in my whole life. You know, like I feel like an urgency, like an excitement, a passion, a fire about it. But what has made that possible when you were talking about forgiving yourself? I mean, good Lord. I I can't even tell you how long that took me. And like just the struggle, uh, the daily struggle, the the wrestle with the inner critic, which fours have in a different way than ones do. But it can be very acute Um, and it's like an inner prosecutor. Almost, you know. Um, I think you both will, as you do this work and you do your recovery work. Man, it, you just sort of reach a point where you're like, "I'm okay." And this is big news for the for the four and the three. And here's why: twos, threes, and fours are all in the shame triad, meaning they don't believe they can be loved for who they are, and so each projects uh, a false image that to themselves and to others that they think will win the love, appreciation, and admiration they desperately desire, right? Now, the problem is they know, at least unconsciously, that what they're doing is projecting a mask. Now, in your case, Julie, would be a mask of success, of winning, of being a go-getter, of crushing it, of, you know, all that stuff. And for John, it would be really a mask of uniqueness and specialness and... Nobody's quite like me. That's why I don't want to take any of tests. Um, it's like, I don't want to know if there's anyone else out there like me. That would be horrible if I actually could fit into a, a, a subset of the population. Um, and, and, and also there's shame and fear that if the projection goes away, that there's no one behind it, that there's emptiness behind it. And, um, when you get, I think as we as I've gotten older, and, I, and I'm hearing you say this about John in a, in a wonderful kind of sideways fashion, is as you get older, the, you relax your grip on the mask and on the projection, and you start to trust that behind it, there is a real someone, and that they are worthy of love and admiration and appreciation, most days. Uh, but that's kind of where I, I'm getting the sense that both of you have have arrived at or are beginning to taste in your own lives right now. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Mm-hmm, for sure. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. All right. I want to talk a little bit about addiction and recovery for a moment, because as I mentioned earlier about the self-destruct side of the four, of course, any type can wrestle with addiction. It's such a complicated animal. Uh, so it can't be type specific, but Man, fours are notorious for it, um, as are uh, sevens. But I, gosh, twos, nice. I go to meetings all the time. I, I just look around the room and I just, I see a lot of fours, particularly in Nashville, obviously, because there are so many artists and songwriters floating around. But I want to know a little bit about your addiction and recovery journey. You both have recovery journeys. Uh, and Julie, I'll let you explain what that means for you. But John, let's start with you. Talk briefly to share this a little bit about your, your addiction and recovery journey.
3: So, I started walking in. I stepped into a meeting over twelve years ago um, to get rid of a, a dependence on drugs and alcohol. I just was living this chaotic life, and I, I knew I didn't want to be there anymore. I went to a therapist, and they told me to go to these meetings. I remember the first meeting I went to. The guy next to me says, "I just want to burn everybody up in here." <laughs> <wasn't that> <laughs> And so I was like, I'm not supposed to be here. But I kept going back and I kept trying. I worked the steps. I, I would get a sponsor and then I just could never give back to the program. I, I couldn't, I didn't have the stories like the others had in AA. And it wasn't until I walked, walked into a, movie, a meeting on SLAW, which is sex and love addiction. And when I walked into it, there was like this broken hearts, hearts club. And I was probably a bunch of fours, (laughs) all fours. Um, And I just realized that was what I could help, and I could do my 12th step I could get back, and I just started working that program harder than ever. I hit a really hard rock bottom, which would have taken me and Julie away, and I didn't want that to happen. A little boy, and I knew that that was if I kept going down that road, it was going to be all over. And, um, my AA sponsor said, okay, you can work, I can work this program with you. It's, um, it's easy. <laughs> that's what he said. Just got to figure out what you want to give up. And it took me quite a while for me to like, what is it that I'm, what is the thing that's keeping me from being my most authentic self? What is the thing? And it was shame. And mm. I was able to define shame as it's like guilt. I didn't do something wrong, that I was wrong. I felt as though I was wrong. I was living this life like mm-hmm. and I did what you just described uh, a four. Like I'm a four. Like I got to give up being a four. <laughs> I got to give up this shame of my life. But then I was able to identify them through my character defects and, and my shortcomings in my life. You know, I was just, I'm dyslexic, so I could never truly. I always felt stupid. I was uh, sexually molested by a director in the very beginning of my career, which hung on to me all the way through. Mm. And my father tried to commit suicide when I was a young boy. I never had really addressed those things. When I was able to really look at them from this perspective of shame, and I was able to, I was able to stop the the chaos and get closer. And the other thing I did was, I was no longer looking at the God that my father had given me. I was redefining what God was. Mm. And uh, my, once I was able to do that, I would see the sunrise and the sunset. and this way for another day. got through everything that I possibly could, day by day. It's been set seven, 7 17 I've been able to be more intimate and loving with my family and be more present. I gave all the tricks that I thought worked. My career as an actor is... Taken off in ways I never could ever have fathomed. I'm more authentic of who I am, and I like myself. I love most mm. important. I love that she loves that my sobriety is one of the best parts of me, because <laughs> <laughs> not everyone does. You know, everyone wants to hold on to those things, and I really appreciate that she has the empathy to love me for that
1: part. Mm. That's terrific. Thank you, by the way, too, for sharing uh, so vulnerably about your your history, because it's so important for our folks as they as they listen to recognize that we're we're not alone, right? You know, I I was always you know the, when we think back to the Me Too movement, I, I always liked the double entendre of it. But I, I had sort of been in a, every time you go to a a 12 step meeting, right? You, you feel like you're in a room full of me twos, right? Like, oh yeah, me too. Yeah. Oh yeah, me too. And it's so important that we have this experience, you know, of realizing that our condition is not a singular venture, right? It's, it's, it's part and parcel of the, of the human experience. And Julie, Julie, you know, you have a a story of recovery as it relates to John. Talk to us about that.
2: Yeah. Um, well, back when I was twenty, I, I grew up in in the I grew up in in a home of alcoholism, and so back when I was twenty, maybe four or five, I went to uh, a separate twelve step program for uh, adult children of alcoholics, and I went to like one, mm-hmm. and then kind of went on with my life. And as John and I were just navigating our marriage and we were in therapy at the time and we had been going to see this therapist for a while. And finally, in one meeting, she just said, you know, John, A-A-N-A, like pick one, they'll all take (laughs) you. You know, you can just, you do you. And she said, Julie, you really, like you really should consider going to Al-Anon. And Mm -hmm. she had maybe said it like once or twice. And then she, you know, she had to drop it because there was only so many times she could (laughs) Recommend, I guess. Um, but I finally took heed to that and, and I went to a meeting um, and, and really just started to learn how addiction, various forms of it, um, alcoholism can really affect everyone because everyone has a part to play in the dance mm-hmm. that is that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, it really shed light on the fact that every important male figure in my life ever has been an addict um, from family members to boyfriends to spouses. So that was interesting. Never thought of that. And mm-hmm. really kind of starting to peel back my own layers with my, um, whether that's codependency traits or people-pleasing traits or this um, this innate feeling that I feel like I am loved and admired when I can take care of the alcoholic when I mm-hmm. be that person for the alcoholic, um, makes me feel successful and like I'm achieving something and that someone's proud of me when I can, Oh, let me go get your bottle of beer and open it for you and make sure that it tastes good. And, you know, let mm. make sure that, you know, when you pass out tonight, that you've got a blanket over you and that you're okay. And, and, um, a lot of that, just a, just my whole life of really examining how that shaped the way that I show up in the world, and especially the way that I show up in relationships. And so I got into I I, I got into meetings. I did um, in in my world what I call a thirty for thirty, and got in there. And and you know, of course, I was going to achieve this if I was going to do it. Yes. <laughs> so. I was going to be the best, the best student in there.
4: You're good at it. Um,
2: but you know, and then I was able to to find a incredible sponsor that I've had since day one, and start working the steps. And a really beautiful thing happened when I stopped focusing so much on him and other people, and really started just focusing on me and what I needed to do
4: mm-hmm. in
2: terms of my own recovery and how I. And living in the world that that is what it is, um, that's when things really started to change and unlock for me. And so it, it was really about understanding again, my part to play in the dynamics that make us as a couple who we are and me just as a, a daughter, a sister, a friend, a parent, all the things that are connected to that. Mm. Um, and I'm still on my path, you know, through through into recovery.
1: So I'm going to put you on a, uh, in a in a tight spot and ask you, if possible, if you could summarize for people who are unfamiliar with Al-Anon, what the big message is that it has for us.
2: Well, I think the biggest message is that there is hope. I mean, that is to me the biggest one that I take mm-hmm. away. My understanding of Al-Anon is that it is it is the place where loved ones go that have been affected by alcoholism so they can they can really start to uncover their own patterns so you know there's a saying you know what drinking is to an alcoholic thinking is to an alanonic so it's really about Mm. our stinking thinking uh we alan love our slogans um yes and (laughs) we got a lot of them too they're great um but really getting into how can i relearn how to think and feel for myself and about myself and about the world and about the people in my life in a whole new way. Mm. And how can I get that support from my fellows and from my own working, my own steps and from my own, um, you know, books and, and language around that. So that's how I would sum it mm.
1: I love that. I have a, and Anthony n- knows this woman. She's a actually quite a well-known singer songwriter gorgeous songwriter in uh, in Nashville her name is Mary Mary's one of my dearest pals and I, I adore this human being but she had a, a sponsor in LA and um, he used to say to her every time he got off the phone he'd say now Mary just don't forget your brain broke." <laughs> <laughs> And I always love it because it always sounds so Eeyore-ish, but it's kind of like just own the fact that, you know, all human beings are a little brain broke and we think crazy ways. And, you know, we come up with all manner of defensive strategies and offensive strategies to try and, and make life work. And many of them work against making life work. Right. And it's it's uh, it's it's a journey of unsorting and untangling all of that stuff. And it takes a, it takes a minute. You know, it, uh, it, it takes a minute. Well, guys, this has been amazing. But before we go, I want to ask you, John, you've, you've, I mean, we've read a little bit about your incredible resume as an actor, but now you're working on this project on a new show called Blue Ridge. Tell us about it.
3: So Blue Ridge is a a series that's going to be on INSP channel, which is on the cable network. It's about a, a man who leaves California, moves to a small town to be closer to his family. Which is pretty much my story. And he becomes, hes he was a former military man who's now become the sheriff of the town. And something happens every single week and he's got to figure it out who done
1: it. Who done it? What's his type? Do you know what his type well, is? Well,
3: he's very close to my father, um, which is interesting because my dad definitely, he's so sorrowful all the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: He's probably at four. So. Oh, I
2: get eight vibes from your dad. Yeah. yeah. His it's dad was a cop. Trauma. Um, his dad was a cop in Baltimore for about thirty years. Tough, tough town. Yeah,
3: oh, yeah. But very uh, all
2: about justice.
3: Yeah, he's got a really negative outlook on a lot of things. I don't know if that was because of being a cop or mm-hmm. just by nature.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it'd be interesting. I, I, uh, th- that, that could be a whole other show. Is 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 talking about an eight-four relationship between a father and a son would be crazy so sparky uh, because that eight dad chances are did not have a lot of understanding into a universe inside of you. Like it would be so foreign and it would be so maddening and frustrating. And also he would probably be trying to spend a lot of time with the assumption that his job was to make you a facsimile of him and nothing could be worse for a four than to try to have an eight not empathize with what their interior world is like and try to make them into a replica of the, the father. Right. Home. Oh anyway, I, we don't have to go there now, John, but there's a whole other conversation to be had. Um, so, and now Julie, you've got, you know, your wonderful book, get what you want. Tell us all about what you're doing and, and how people learn about that.
2: Yeah. So um, my book came out last year, actually, when we first spoke, Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's still rocking and rolling and doing its thing that books do, as you know all about, Ian. Um, so you can get that wherever books are sold. Um, but right now I've been doing a lot of speaking, uh, kind of taking the the principles of the book to stage, which has been fun. And then, of course, um, my podcast and bringing a lot of it to there, which is the Influencer Podcast. And we uh, yep. started a YouTube channel this year. So it's been fun just taking that and, and spreading more of that message out there within not only my coaching community world, but just other people that have no clue who I am. So that's been really fun.
1: Mm. Wow, well, it has been such a joy, and uh, I, I love it when I'm in an interview, and and I can feel myself sitting on the edge of my seat because so much juicy fare is being set out. And um, so I, I'm I'm so grateful for the chance to have both of you on. It's such a pleasure. you. And Typology Tribe, you know where this ends, right? May you have love, may you have joy, may you have peace, may you have healing, and may you have rest. Until next time.